0: welcome to episode 13 of the rediscovery of me life stories podcast today's episode is all about how we can support children and young adults if they're struggling with eating and the role of family in supporting recovery from adolescent eating disorders
1: it's not about them finishing a whole meal it's about them getting sufficient amount to be able to function for their age for their height and it's about just eating what's what's appropriate for their age to eat yeah so and also it's about giving them you know an appropriate amount yeah don't pile your child's plate up and then expect them to eat it because actually it might be just be too much yeah so it's about judging again it's about being aware how much is enough for your
0: child it's time to be your best version of you no fluff, no nonsense, only practical ways for you to be your own extraordinary. We learn from the real stories of real people who've been there and survived the life challenges that we all face. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. Welcome to the rediscovery of me. I'm your host, Holly Hartley. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 13 of the Life Stories podcast. They say that 13 is unlucky for some, well not for us, because today we take a really candid and supportive look at a really complex topic that many families struggle with. As always, the Life Stories podcast is all about learning from the experience and stories of others so that we can live our best life. Make sure that you click like and leave a review. Let's get on with today's show. My guest on today's show is a systemic family psychotherapist and art psychotherapist with over 13 years experience working with children and adolescent mental health services with a particular focus working in specialist education provision. She's here today to talk to us about the role of family and family therapy in eating disorders and adolescent anorexia. I'm very delighted to welcome to the show, Bonnie Horton. Before we start, I would like to say that neither Bonnie nor I are medical physicians and Bonnie is a certified therapist. But if you're worried about the health of your child, you must seek help from your doctor or physician. Today, we're here to learn more about adolescent eating disorders and specifically anorexia and how we as parents, carers and friends can help and be better informed. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about such a really important topic. It's great to have a specialist on to talk about this kind of thing because I really think it affects parents so deeply. And I think, you know, as a mum myself, it's something that we all deeply worry about, I would say. So let, let's start off really simple then. So we're going to talk today about eating disorders in general and then Mm -hmm. do a specific dive down into anorexia. So starting off simple then, there's a kind of broad umbrella term of eating disorders and anorexia is one of many eating disorders.
1: Yes, it's. um, I think people think about when they think about eating disorders, anorexia is the main one. Yeah. But there's other condition linked to eating disorders such as um, bulimia Mm -hmm. and binge eating basically. and. They they can all be happening next to each other. It could start with just um, food restriction and binging and then vomiting Mm -hmm. as well. That's Mm -hmm. another one that before it actually becomes a full-blown diagnosis of um, anorexia nervosa.
0: Okay. I also read as well about different ones pica where people eat non-food items. Yeah. And other specific ones rumination syndrome where people regurgitate food. Yeah. Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder where people have a lack of interest in food. So the whole this whole kind of a whole
1: different approach to you know different ways that young people and even adults yeah. are still so you know as well or a sufferer of eating disorder, and it could go on into an adult, from a young person, into their adult life.
0: Does some eating disorder start in adult life?
1: Yes, it can. It can start later in life. Uh, Life experiences, what's going on for that person, loss of control... Yeah. ..could suddenly make this condition appear out of nowhere where... Other people starting to notice small changes, just small changes okay. in behaviour.
0: Right. So it affects it any can,
1: of us at any it point in the point life. It can affect any of us, but it's something that's quite worrying in today's society with the young people.
0: Is there an increase in prevalence in
1: society? It's it's on the increase and it's not just girls, right. boys as well. And again, it seems to be a, a more focus on girls because of the pressure of um, you know of the puberty and yeah. development yeah. but more and more boys are suffering from eating disorder as well right. and also they are asking for help more and other professionals are also aware and referring boys more than girls as well now right. so so it's important that we don't overlook some of the behaviours that you might see in in young boys in schools or in the community, in the the family home, to be aware of it. Not to put pressure, not to challenge that young person and and get their backs up, but just to be aware and notice it really and kind of um, acknowledge it and and start to talk about it and see whether is it something that's happening on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, are they going through a phase? Or is there, is there something more to this that, as parents, we need to look at?
0: It's really good because this this whole space about male mental health is something that comes up quite a lot in my podcast. And we've done other podcast episodes specifically focusing on male mental health. And mm-hmm. it's really gratifying to say that, you know, mm. the increase in awareness that's out there, not only obviously amongst professionals, but also amongst the general populace, I think yes. is, is a really, really welcome thing. Yeah. But let's start right. Start back at the beginning then. Let, let's, let's start straightforward. I've got two kids um, and, you know, I think as parents, we always worry about what they eat, when they eat, how they eat. Are they eating enough? Are they eating too much? You know, it's that constant yeah. treadmill of parentom. Mm-hmm. But when does fussy eating become an eating disorder? At which point is it a problem in inverted commas?
1: Because you hear that you know, people using the words fussy eating quite a lot. I have two children myself. Yeah. And they you know, they can be quite fussy at different stages about different, you know, vegetables, different type of food. They don't want to eat it, all of a sudden they're not interested in it, or they're leaving it on their plates and you know. So and yes, children do go through that phase. They go through, you know, their taste buds changes as well. Mm. You know, as they as you grow and develop yourself or different times of the the month, the year, or whatever medical condition might also be going on, your taste buds might change. So, not to panic mm-hmm. if your child is worried. Try and find something that your child likes. As mm-hmm. long as you they're, they're eating, you, they're getting um, a balanced diet. Don't fuss about it. It's when they start to, when it becomes an everyday battle to get them to eat. Or when they start to behave, you know, kind of there's some, you know, some kind of odd behavior where they want to leave the table, mm-hmm. um, halfway through the meals, and it becomes a ritual, or they, they become quite ritualistic about their food. Then maybe what does that it mean, could,
0: Bunny? Ritualistic about their food?
1: Well, where they want to um, order their food in certain ways, or whether you know, when they're saying that they want to eat in this way or in that way, or where they, they start to. Go on, and I'll talk about fat. I'm at such a young age. Where did they get that from? I know that they're, they're taught about you know healthy meals and sugar and fat, but when it becomes obsessive that they're wanting to know, to not just about what's in, going into the food, what's happening to their body, and it starts to affect them that they become quite distressed. Right. So if they're becoming quite distressed about those types of food or different types of food, perhaps start to seek advice about how to manage it. Start to think about how you might be able, as a family, talk about it, deal with it, and how you can reassure that young person, because the reassurance is important. And the best person that that, that needs to start with is the family. It's within the home, because if your child feels reassured that actually you're eating it, the whole family's eating it, and we're fine, nothing's going to happen to you. And a, a bit of what you fancy doesn't do you any harm, mm-hmm. as long as you, mm-hmm. you're getting a balanced I live diet. By that oh, I think it's important <laughs> that you know that society tells us we we eat this, we can't eat that. Let's not, you know, get children panicking, young people panic because of the media as well contributes to that. Yeah, that we can't eat this because if we eat it, it'll do this to us. What's the medical evidence that backs it up? So let's try and re- relieve young people's anxiety by normalizing and i'll say that word let's try and normalize
0: basic fussy eating
1: and can just talk
0: about it that's great that's really helpful i must admit i i think i i've really worried about one of my children in particular you know I'm a big strapping person, pretty much everybody in my family is. And one of my children is just not built like us. You know, okay. she's she's got a very different build. Okay. Her, her metabolism seems to be set to high all the time. She <laughs> runs around like some kind of Tasmanian devil. And her, awesome. her approach to food is very different. She's a lot more of a fussy eater. And I've been really worrying about, mm. is this a thing mm-hmm. and it's good to hear that actually you know let's normalize fussy eating because it is
1: it's a stage that they're going through and they might and you might find that what they don't like two months ago they suddenly like it yeah my daughter went through a phase that actually she doesn't she's not very keen on meat yeah but she likes chicken mm. so I encor- you know I and cook as much chicken because I know she will eat that. Yeah, she's getting a balance. She doesn't like broccoli, but I know she likes sprouts or whatever. So it's about normalising it and not thinking, oh, she doesn't like
0: that. What's going on? What's going what, on? What do you think about? I mean, when I was when I was brought up, it's a rule I still follow to this day. You do not leave anything on your, on your plate. plate, and it was like a, a regime when I grew up that that was. Always mm-hmm. the way it was. Mm-hmm. Is that a practice that we should or shouldn't be doing as parents? Forcing kids to eat things that they don't like, I guess.
1: Well, in my practice, um, a part of you know, um, the treatment of um, eating disorder is that actually I observe a family meal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not about them finishing their plate and not leaving anything. And, and I think sometimes parents, as parents also, and I know myself, you get caught up in that because of the way we've been raised about not wasting food. Yeah, Absolutely. But during the treat, when you're treating somebody with eating disorder, it's not about them finishing a whole meal. It's about them getting sufficient amount to be able to function for their age, for their height, and it's about just eating what's what's appropriate for their age to eat. Yeah. So and also it's about giving them the, you know an appropriate amount. Yeah. Don't pile your child's plate up and then expect them to eat it because actually it might be just yeah. be too much. Yeah. So it's about judging again. It's about being aware how much is enough for your child, how much... I mean, I, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, so I know roughly yeah what they both eat, yeah. the amount to put on their plate. And I know if I've put a bit too much on my daughter's plate, I know she's likely to say, Mummy, I'm full, I mm-hmm. don't want any more. Mm-hmm. But I know she's had she's had sufficient amount. Mm. If she hasn't, I, I will say... I think she would eat a bit more. we we'll even make a joke of her, play of it and say, five more spoons yeah. and then you can go to your pudding. Yeah. I know she's not full because she wants her pudding. Yeah. So we normalise it. We make it a, you know, a fun kind of, just eat. Just have a, a family meal. Yeah. And okay. don't get caught up don't in it. Don't get
0: caught up in it. Don't panic. Don't let them see you worrying about it all the time. That's great. That's really helpful. Thanks, Bonnie. So moving on then, let, let's talk a little bit more about anorexia. Mm-hmm. How can we tell if a young person has an eating disorder like anorexia? What, what kinds of things, let's, let's stick to anorexia now. What kinds of things should we be looking for if a child has anorexia or okay. is maybe leading up to anorexia?
1: Okay. I think first of all, I think it's important to clarify that there is no evidence that suggests that anorexia is linked to a family or, two, or to or any anything that's been caused by the family themselves. Yeah. It's not about the family or the yeah. home life, not necessarily. There might be other issues going on, other mental health issues or or family breakdown that might contribute to it, but it is not a factor. That influences anybody getting anorexia, whether boy or a girl. But noticing that were, again, what their pattern of eating at home is: are they taking a lot of food into their room? Are, are you noticing that they're binging quite a lot on just on healthy snack? They want snack all the time more than they would normally eat. Are they taking um, food away? Are they um, from the from the room and saying they're going into their room all the time and not wanting to eat with the family? Halfway through family meal, are they wanting to go to the toilet? Have you noticed? that they just they just disappear, go to the toilet on at pretty much every mealtime and then return? What's that about? And also, are they exercising more than normally? Exercise is good. We all know that. You know, it's important that we're active and we encourage young people to be active. But has it become an obsessive amount of exercising. Are they weighing themselves? Are they looking also look at what what are they watching, what they're looking at, what they're focusing on, what kind of conversation are they having with you? So it could be just aware, just aware if there's any changes. And who notices more changes more than anybody? Parents. Mm -hmm. Because we Mm -hmm. are the experts of our own children. We see them on a daily basis. So it's important that we, you know, that parents are worked and supported because they have a lot
0: of knowledge that professionals don't have about their family
1: life, Mm -hmm.
0: okay? Okay, that's really helpful. So if we see changes in our children, I don't know, they they might be exercising more than we thought, we're worried about weight loss, they've suddenly become more conscious of how much they're eating and Mm -hmm. calorie content and that kind of thing. Maybe we're seeing, you know, more mood swings or evidence of, I don't know, self-harming, maybe that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think as parents, I think there are a number of things that are kind of a default position. You know, I think, number one, I think we panic. Yes. And I think, number two, I think we feel guilty. Yes. And I think we feel that, right, if if that's happening to our child, then straight away we are bad parents. Mm -hmm. I suppose there's two questions here. What do we do if we suspect that our child might have an eating disorder? And what would you say to those parents who are of children in that situation?
1: okay. Again, it comes to, it depends on the age of the child. If it's a young child, it's much more easier for you to, again, it's about seeking medical advice and mm-hmm. support and perhaps mm-hmm. visiting your local GP and, you know, sitting down with a nurse even to just to talk about some of the things that you're noticing, that you're concerned about, about, about the mood swing, the weight loss, um, counting calories. So just speak to somebody else, just sort to sound it out that you're noticing this pattern. And also, but if they're a bit older, it's important that they're aware that you're you're concerned, that you're worried about it. And also see if you can work and try and work on it together. Go to your GP together if you're concerned about it. But nine out of 10, the young person will probably say, there is no issue. Mm -hmm. They're, They're fine. There's no problem. They haven't got eating disorder. They will not see that, especially if they're starving themselves, especially because we talk about psychoeducation is one of the, one of the um, first phase of treatment is to talk about what's happening to the brain when you're not eating enough. Okay. And when you're not eating enough, you're starving. You're, effectively, you are starving your brain. Yeah. It's going to affect your mood swing. It's going to affect your energy level. It's going to affect the way you respond to people. It's going to affect your perception. You can even become delirious, you can become a bit, you know, kind of like almost as if you're seeing things that aren't there, you're hearing things that aren't there because you're not getting enough calories and
0: you're starving your brain from the inside out. So what do we do if, you know, my 14-, 15-year-old daughter, and my kids are much younger than I am, I'm merely, you know... Mm-hmm making this up here but if my 14 or 15 year old daughter or son for that matter mm-hmm. i see has lost a significant amount of weight he's mm-hmm. suddenly exercising obsessively mm-hmm. i'm worried sick and i see this happening in front of my eyes and i say sweetheart i'm really worried you mm-hmm. know and they say there's no problem there's no and problem. you get that level of resistance what do we do as parents or family or friends or carers or loved ones mm-hmm. what do we do if we get that level of resistance
1: well, in the past, what has happened is that when parents have noticed and they have tried to challenge, it, it's usually a uh, mom might have said something to the young person, and that young person's denied that there's anything happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for example, this, you know, the mom would then approach dad, and they will talk about it that there's something happening, and we need we need to check this out. What I would probably advise is that don't uh, make sure that the way you're speaking to the young pe- person, they don't feel like you know you're accusing them. Because okay. the moment they feel that you're accusing them of not eating or over-exercising, they'll feel like you're watching them. They've been watched, and you, you know you're saying something that isn't there. They're not going to. They're not going to see the things that you're seeing. Again, they're starving themselves. It's that okay? Let's just check it out. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing to it, and we're just making a fuss of nothing, then the we'll, the nurse or the GP will tell us that. Let's do that. But we need to do that.
0: That so, needs to happen. A supportive approach that is not about blame. It's not about blame. Not accusatory, doesn't accuse in any way. No. A, no. And a, a very much kind of collective approach, let's do this together. Let's
1: do it together. Because what I've heard from parents is the fact that they've blamed themselves because they've, they've said things like, how could I have let this go on for so long? Mm-hmm. I noticed something, but why didn't I go to the GP sooner? Why didn't I go and ask and check it out? Why didn't and? But you have done that now. You've gone together. You're dealing with it now. There's concern. Your child's been, you know, sent to the hospital. There's possibility of an admission happening here because your child has lost a significant amount of weight in a short period of time. It could, and a referral has been. There could be that, you know, that they don't need admission, but it needs to be, you know, a referral to a specialist team mm-hmm. like the CAMS team needs to happen. Is is it
0: common that parents feel that kind of guilt and? You know that, oh my gosh I must be a rubbish parent is that a common thing?
1: Yes, it is a common thing because is it, how have I not noticed this? Mm. If I'm that much of a good parent, why didn't I, why didn't I notice that my daughter's struggling at school? Mm. My, that mm. um, there's bullying might have been going there might be other conditions, there's bullying going on she's been unhappy about herself she's not been able to talk to me why can't she talk to me then obviously I'm not that great a mother because she she can't confide in me. Or sometimes parents have found out that there's something happening to their child because that child might have been might have gone to the school nurse. It doesn't matter who the first person that young person goes to. As long as that young person knows that there is an adult, there is somebody that they trust and feel safe to say, I'm losing weight, I'm not eating, I'm worried about my health. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters and parents have been mortified that It was the nurse or somebody else that said, we're concerned that your daughter's come to us and her weight has dropped significantly. We need to do a
0: referral. It's so hard being a parent. It is hard. And they change so much. I mean, my kids seem to be growing in front of my eyes. You know, it's just... And and your
1: child also don't want to let you down and they don't want to disappoint you. And another thing is that a lot of young people with eating disorders, particularly girls, they are highly intelligent. Mm very smart, Mm. high achiever, they want to do their very best. They're probably A-star students who really are they they are very particular. They love they like to be in control. Yeah. And when other factors, other mental health issues is affecting and making them feel that they're not in control. To find other ways of gaining control, exercise mm. is a great one because you start to time yourself, you start to control how many times a week you go to the gym, and then before you know it, it that it's taking over. Yeah, yeah. Where it, that's all you can think about because actually you can see result. Yeah, you're achieving results. You, you're going two, three times a week, or oh, maybe I should go four times a week. I might even see more. Look at it, I've, I've lost a bit of weight.
0: Yeah, it yeah.
1: becomes a real, you know passion to control because and you're achieving something you are in control of this because other aspects of your life you haven't been able to control it so this is it's not some it's not that this young person suddenly woke up and thought oh I'm going to starve myself I don't want to eat or it doesn't it just gradually it takes over where they can't even see what other people are seeing and that's the effect of aspect of you know effect of starving yourself and starving your brain of being able to function and think in the way that you would normally think so blame and shame and thinking it's something we've done as a family you know that's not going to help the situation so it's important that's why we talk about them we look at that during the engagement but in the first stage it's to focus on refeeding the child okay it's not about looking at the problems the therapists at the beginning. We don't focus on, oh, what happened? How did this problem start? It's about, let's look at how we can help and support you
0: to start eating again.
1: That's the first one.
0: It's really interesting because th- this whole concept of blame and shame um, crops up everywhere. It is. You know, and I, I, there's a lot of guests that I've been talking to recently about a lot of different stuff in their past that's been going on. And it's amazing how much... Shame and blame are attached to things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we've already covered the fact that there's no kind of defined cause mm-hmm. for eating disorders and, and particularly anorexia. But also, there are linkages, perhaps, with other um, mental health problems. So low self-esteem, you've mentioned already, depression, you know, lack of control. One.
1: Yeah, a lot of young people who are suffering from anxiety. depression. You will find them. That's a comorbidity.
0: What, what does this mean, comorbidity? It's a phrase I hear a lot, but I'm never clear it what it means.
1: So basically, when you think about a, a, a main condition, if a young person's been diagnosed with um, anorexia, mm-hmm. there will be other, other mental health, other condition that's attached, that's kind of almost feeding into that, that condition and making it, working alongside it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a low self-esteem, and you're you're and you're quite low in mood. Your 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 perception of yourself isn't great. It's going to feed into the fact that actually I need to do something about it. Mm. I need to exercise more. I need to eat less. I need to weigh myself. I need to try and lose two pounds by the end of tonight. I need to, you know, I need to make sure I don't drink plenty enough water, so that if I the less I drink, I weigh less. So they find other ways, so other conditions, self harm comes into it yep. because self harm again will be linked to the management of taking that edge away from you know, and taking that pain away. Just briefly said uh, they will tell you that it doesn't long term. It doesn't. It doesn't last forever. But for just that short period, where while I'm feeling like the worst person in the world, while I feel like I hate myself, I don't like what I see in the mirror. That self harm of just cutting myself just takes. It takes that pain that it takes it away. I don't, I'm thinking about just the pain of cutting myself rather than the other pain that I'm feeling. So they transfer it to other, other ways of coping, other mental health condition kicks in. Okay. And you notice the mood in the morning, you know, your child's quite low in mood. The way they respond, the way they get out of bed will change, will be different. The way they come downstairs for breakfast will be different. Compared to, if you look back and think to yourself, what were they like six months ago? Tell me what, what your daughter was like six months ago. They will be, start tracking the mm. changes, mm. what they're noticing. And a lot of the time is that they'll be diagnosed with depression or that's alongside that eating disorder. They might be taking a, a dose of antidepressant as well and other medication to manage the mood. Because for you to be able to treat the eating disorder, it's important that their mood is also being managed so that they can function at a level to be able to make the changes that they want to make and also for the family to be able to access that family support that they need. And if we're thinking about, again, the fam- working with the family, if we think about the engagement and the development of a therapeutic relationship, that's important. You need to have that with the family. You need the family inside because you need mum and dad mm. or any caregiver that's involved with a young person. They need to be the one taking control of managing this. Because, again, evidence-based practice tells us that Eating disorder, get it, um, the recovery is better if it's managed within the community, within the family home, and it reduces hospital admission.
0: I was going to ask, you know, about the treatment of young people. Are, are so a child is if a child is diagnosed with anorexia. Is that child automatically going to be hospitalised? No, no, not
1: necessarily. It depends how, again, on the weight loss. Okay. It depends on the length of uh, how long this has been going on. Yeah. It could be that the parents and the young person have gone to the GP and the GP is, um, t- uh, is monitoring the weight. Yeah. And has asked them to come back again in two weeks' time and uh, and the weight's dropped again. So again, when we get a, a referral in the past, is that the GP will say that. This young person has lost a dramatic amount of weight in the last three months that I've been monitoring them. Yeah. So, this has become a concern then for them that they've referred it to CAMS. And again, and it could be that the GP actually does a referral straight away to the hospital because mm-hmm. this, it's become uh, the, their weight has dropped to a very low level that they need to be hospitalized. Immediately, yep. and even if they are hospitalised immediately, obviously the child and adolescent um, service will be will be at, they will attend the hospital yep. to do an assessment for even so that when they discharge, they, so that they can access support. And if it is that they're going to be admitted, which sometimes that happens, then the work will start um, with it while they're in hospital, and it will continue with them upon discharge. So,
0: if a child is diagnosed mm-hmm. um, may or may not receive support in hospital i know that you and i have spoken already about the need for collaboration but actually mm-hmm. the family's at the center of all of this and yes. you know treatment in the community treatment in the family home is far better in terms of recovery mm-hmm. what other agencies would a parent expect to be mm-hmm. involved what are the kinds of professionals okay because the podcast is listened to all over the world so okay. what other kinds of professionals would usually be involved with an incidence
1: okay. of anorexia well anorexia need a multi-agency <clears throat> excuse me approach yeah so it's important that you will have a consultant psychiatrist would definitely be involved okay. because once they've been admitted or even if they're coming through the service yeah. so there'll be a consultant involved a dietitian, it's essential Right. Because a dietitian it could be a weekly appointment where the dietitian needs to monitor the weight, look at and also to do a meal plan mm-hmm. with parents and young people so that when they go home that <clears throat> the Pat family follow the meal plan and help the young people to eat, basically. So a dietitian involvement is very much important. The nurses' involvement is crucial as well. The therapist involvement also the GP and also hospital and also blood tests need to happen or to monitor the blood level as well because there could be other medical again in terms of psychoeducation other medical condition how it affects it, it affects them um, female fertility right eating disorder if not treated it could affect a long-term impact is the young person might not be able to to have children in the future. So it could affect a lot of um, vital organs in the body. All the organs that we don't see could be affected on the inside and also um, the bones as well. That's um, a major one that I discuss with young people who suffers from that you can get early onset of um, arthritis mm. uh, where their bones are quite brittle and they can't walk very well. So they need um, extra iron in their body and other medication to make sure that they're getting all the nutrients that they're not getting to help their brain and their body to function mm. like you know, on a normal basis like you and I. Yeah, yeah. So that's important that multi-agency work together and they feed back to each other and they collaborate. And that's why a meeting also, it's essential that they get together and have, when there's a, 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 refer, a meeting is called of um, agency with parents' involvement to, you know, to review how the management of the eating disorders is going and whether we're seeing the improvement, especially if they're still at home, if things aren't getting any better, do we need to be thinking about hospital admission? And that can be heartbreaking for families. I've, you know, I've sat with parents who were sobbing because they've come to a realisation that, yes, my son or my daughter does need to be in hospital. And the shame of them admitting that, because to them it says, we can't cope. Mm-hmm. How does it feel as a parent for you to acknowledge that, you're not able to help your child to eat at home and that they need to be hospitalised. Again, it's about... And then working with them as a therapist is to actually to help them to, to you know, to strip away the, that guilt and the shame and actually, let's, you know, let's go back on this and look at... OK, if your child is admitted, then you get the support and the all the, you know, the right people around you that will advise you and help you to manage better at home when your child does come out. And you'll have the therapist, you'll have the family therapy in a work that will work with you on a weekly basis or depending on the family, who will walk with you so you're treating with the family. You're not treating the family. You're treating them alongside mm-hmm. them. You're so it's, alongside it really them. It
0: collaborative.
1: It's collaborative. You're working alongside them. You're not coming as an expert who's just telling them to do this, to do that. You are alongside them through this journey. And that for parents, it's invaluable mm-hmm. because you are the one they build that relationship with. Mm-hmm. They trust you to, to either within their home or within the clinic to work with them, and the young person trusts you as well because you're not taking sides, you're not there to blame. Again, That bit the blaming game doesn't come into it. It's about helping the family to engage and start to you know, manage that eating disorder and also to reorder their family life because this eating disorder is coming into their family life and it's taking over. Yeah, It's in control. Yeah, It's the one controlling the family, the relationship, and what's going on.
0: I read that parents being highly critical can lead to a kind of worse pro- prognosis and that if a young person gets better with the help of the family, they're more likely to stay better over mm-hmm. the kind of long term. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've already covered this thing about family therapy, but, but it is true that family therapy in this situation is actually more effective than individual therapy.
1: Yes, at the initial stage because sometimes parents might ask for individual therapy for the young person or even the young person themselves might ask to have individual therapy mm. because it's it's easier for them to, you know, to have that one-to-one mm. because, again, to be in a family, it's quite exposing, isn't it, for them because... You, it's about vulnerability. It's so you, they, are, they feel this is the most vulnerable, you know, position that they've probably ever felt in their yeah, whole yeah. life, and the shame that the young person Absolutely. themselves will feel yeah. to talk about certain things in front of their families and their siblings. So it's important to not forget about siblings because they they often feel that while this is going on, they've been left out in the loop yeah and the dinner so they need the siblings involved as well because these are the people that knows this young person the most, so it's important that the family are at the center of this treatment because they will they will want to recover quicker they will they are likely to want to make that changes because they want to be at home with the family
0: i, I read about this when i was doing my research about the the complexities and I, so i'm interested to hear and we'll go on to this in a moment about the kinds of things that the family can be doing at home to help mm-hmm. and support yeah but i read something about how um existing family function functioning gets amplified mm-hmm. so Mum and daughters, I'm generalising here, but Mm. mum and daughters get closer, dad gets pushed out, and that gets worse. Yes. Siblings... As you've said, you know, the the condition becomes central to the family. Mm -hmm. Siblings end up getting overlooked. So Mm -hmm. what kinds of things can the family be doing to help and support at home?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've already mentioned, excuse me, sibling feeling left out. It's the same. It splits the relationship between mum and dad as well. Yeah. Because more times than not, you'll find that mum's the one who's dealing with probably the day to day of, you know, of preparing food. So basically, and again, that the young person will, the resentment will be likely perhaps be towards towards mum mm-hmm. who's doing the management of the food mm-hmm. and might play them. In a my focus. house, that'll be the dad. And it could be the dad also. Or if it's the dad who is doing more of the challenging of eating more, the resentment might be towards him because mum's mom's on the other side. So anorexia comes in. Split them. Yeah. They're not working together. That's exactly what the condition wants. Wants them to be on separate corners of the room. And you can see that they, they, they're like scattered in the room. They're not working together. That's what anorexia loves the most. And that's why when we um, externalise the condition to say, the young person isn't the problem. It's the problem that's attached to the young person. So we have to... That's why the word externalisation, so that we we give it a name, we give it a life of its own, Mm -hmm. it's coming to your family home and it's reorganised your family system. So we need to now, we need to talk about, you know, we need to identify it so, rather than attaching it to the young person, so they will be split as a family. So, that's why it's important that whether it's a mom, dad, or step parents, whoever is living in, within the family home, that they work together in the initial stage it's important that parents are the ones who are preparing the food because one of the, um, um, one of the habits that you notice with a young person with anorexia is that they like to be in the kitchen.
0: Right. They like
1: to be in control. Ah. They want to cook the food. They yep. want to do the management of it because they want to be the one knowing what's going into it and what, how much portion it is. So in the first stage of the treatment, it's parents who are doing the um, management of the food they are the one that they t- almost like a temporary control mm. so that when that child is slowly recovering and at a stage where parents can say, do you know what? We trust that you can manage now. We hand over the control back to you of mm. mm. you managing because you're better, you're getting better. But in the early stage, it's important that it's parents that are doing the management and that they're working together, that they don't work against each other, that mum doesn't say one thing and dad say the other because it will be the anorexia. Because again, the externalising of the condition is that when you say to the young person, who's in control now? You or anorexia. Mm-hmm. And they will be able, they can detach, they're able to, rather than seeing it the, within themselves, they're able to to detach from that condition every now and then. And who's much more stronger at this stage? Who's controlling the situation? So it's, again, it's the family are the central to the recovery of this young person.
0: How how can we as parents make sure that the young person doesn't blame themselves? I heard that the message, it's not your fault, needs mm. to be repeated. And also, mm-hmm. um, people don't choose to become ill ill with anorexia, these kinds of messages. What can we do as parents to 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 take away that kind of blame? So that they, they you know, because as we've just said, you know, mm-hmm. anorexia, we we externalise the condition, it becomes an entity in its own right within mm-hmm. the family yeah but surely would the default there not be for the young person to blame themselves for mm-hmm. opening the door and letting it in how how do we stop kids blaming themselves oh kids will
1: blame themselves for a number of reasons around this for remember that i said earlier on that there might be other factors going on all yeah. small things. one for example um a family breakdown. Let's say mum and dad have separated, Yeah. and there's a stepdad in the house, and they they might blame themselves of the breakup of their marriage. Yeah, they might yeah. blame themselves. They could even go back to when they were when they were children. You know the things that they used to do. They might blame themselves for the way that they were within that family home. They might blame themselves for the fact that the uh, friendship breakdown at school. Mm-hmm because there might be bullying going on and it's them to blame because nobody likes me, I'm not a nice person, I I, I shouldn't be loved, I'm not wanted. It was my fault that this happened. And also a young person might blame themselves because maybe deep down in the back of their head, they were were hoping that the parents might get back together. Mm -hmm. That didn't Mm -hmm. happen. And, And again, that's another loss. So they're suffering, a. there might be a loss going on, almost like a bereavement of having lost something. There's no control. Again, that lack of control is there. So they will find other reasons to blame themselves because something on, underneath, other things are happening. Not enough for it to have been the cause of it, but all those factors will then all build up in this young person's head. Maybe, maybe if I'd been a better daughter, maybe if I'd, maybe if I'd been you know, a, a better child when I was little, I, I made you and Daddy argue quite a lot. You and Daddy used to argue because of me and maybe you might still be together, so they could blame themselves, in the same way that mom will blame themselves, maybe if I'd stayed with your dad, that's another one, maybe if we, I've tried to work at it, maybe I stayed too long in that relationship, maybe I should have left when you were younger, maybe you might be feeling different, you might be doing something different, but in the here and now, that's why they're stuck in the here and now, they can't they can't see the future, they can't see any change happening. So therefore, it's important to, to kind of eliminate that blame, because there, it's, there's no evidence to say that one thing or one factor has influenced young person suddenly deciding to, it's, it's a gradual, gradual process that happens that it takes them by surprise even themselves that they've reached so, so this point.
0: it's important that, that we repeat these messages. We repeat
1: it, that it's not, again, a therapist coming in, it's not about allocating blame. It's about breaking it down. It's about reorganising the system again. It's about re- and making sure that you shrink that anorexia out of your family home mm-hmm. and that you, the young person starting to think for themselves, gaining a control in a different way -hmm. That they haven't got, they haven't got control in other um, interpersonal relationships. Anorexia, in a way, has become their only friend. That's another thing that is common during therapies. That, in fact, during therapies, that if they'll feel isolated from other people and the only friend that they've got, in fact, their best friend is anorexia. Their best friend, the person next to them, in their head, who's controlling them is anorexia because that's the only thing I can trust. I can, I know I can manage, I can control, and it has my best interest at heart. And the, all the other family member gets pushed aside. So you're having to try and reorganise it and then try and see how far you can get anorexia out of their family home. Yeah.
0: I read that parents mm-hmm. are often kind of behind the young person in that mm-hmm. recovery process and yeah. therefore are inclined to worry more I think as a parent we worry full stop but what can we do when I suppose there's always going to be a certain amount of anxiety there and mm-hmm. I know I'm guilty of this I wrap my kids in cotton wool my husband <laughs> reckons a mollycoddle <laughs> <laughs> but you know because obviously predominantly I would imagine with anorexia we're dealing with teenagers yeah and we have to lengthen the apron strings, we mm-hmm. have to give them more freedom. But if mm-hmm. you've got a young person with a with any kind of diagnosed medical condition, let alone something like, like anorexia, mm-hmm. we're gonna worry. Yeah. How do we manage that worry and give them the freedom that, that they need? They need. I think that's another
1: thing, isn't it? Because it's quite difficult because in the early stages we're saying that parents need to be the one taking control. But it's also it's important that we don't get that mixed up with them over worrying and feeling that they have to do everything by themselves. Yeah. It's important that parents know that they're not by themselves in the management of this and that it's okay to check everything out with other professionals rather than... Because also, don't forget that the young person will be looking at your reaction, will be looking at your response and they can sense your anxiety. Mm-hmm. If they sense that you're anxious or that you don't feel strong enough to manage this. I've actually had a young person say that maybe I think I should go back into hospital because I'm not sure. I think I'm just making things worse for my parents. Right. Personally. And that can be heartbreaking because they feel like, actually, I, I can see what it's doing to my mom and my dad. Yeah. So maybe if I'm in hospital, they can have a better home life and I can get better in hospital. So that's what they're picking up. And when a mother hears that, that, oh, you know, I want to be in hospital so you can have a better home life and not worry, they're devastated by that because actually we want you at home. Okay, so it's important that we check, it's okay to check everything out. If you're not sure just check it out mm. normalize it again try and normalize the thing that you're checking out try and work alongside the young person rather than um, worried about it ask if you're curious just it's important that you just you ask a question mm-hmm. rather than them feeling that oh you're accusing or anything like that mm-hmm. and if you if you're just generally worried and again that's why family therapy is crucial because in that process we check out is there anything that you know that we need to you know that we're worried about and during that we might do a role play. And if I if, if a therapist, as a therapist, if I can see that mum's anxious or worried about something, I might focus some of the work in managing her anxiety mm, and, mm. and get the rest of the family to observe while I interact with mum mm-hmm. in that, you know, in that role play of managing. I might actually swap position, I might become the mum, I might play the role of mum and get mum to play the role of her daughter. All right, okay. To see How how Her perception, how she feels that a daughter might respond to her as a mother. And it's interesting. As a
0: family, it's absolutely fascinating. As a family, I guess, it's hard to put this into words, there's a certain amount of trust that you have to give up because in these, I mean, families are families are, are beautiful units, but they're mm. often quite closed, you know, yes. and we all have stuff that goes on behind closed doors mm-hmm. and, you know, we've all had those situations where we've had young kids and they've suddenly said something that you want to keep behind a closed door mm. in public, my children do it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose as a family in this kind of situation, you, you, you have to kind of embrace the fact that your family life, mm. I don't like to say the phrase under scrutiny, but... You have to let other people into your family life, and that, that's yes. got to be a real challenge.
1: It is. It is because you're inviting other people into your life. Professionals and in commas. you numbers. are. You are inviting other professionals, people that you have you've never met before, that you don't know. They are suddenly looking at. They're asking you about your family history. Mm-hmm. They ask. They want. You know. They're curious about your family beliefs. They're, they're curious about what you do in your home. They're curious about how you cook, the way you cook, how you manage, yeah, yeah. how you talk to each other, who supports who, who manages this, who manages that. That's quite exposing as, mm-hmm. a, you know, as a parent for somebody you know, to, to be asking you those things. That's why, again, a trusting a therapeutic relationship and building that engagement and that trust in the first stage is essential. Especially with a therapist that's going to be doing the most of the work with you. Mm-hmm. Because without that therapeutic engagement and that trust, it is difficult to get. They work to you know to move forward. Yeah. It's difficult for families to open up and feel relaxed, that they, they feel safe because you're there, not as the expert that has all the answer, because you can't guarantee anything. And and I will often say to a young person, I can't get I can't say that you will feel better about yourself for eating that, but I can guarantee that you won't you won't feel any you'll feel worse if you don't eat anything. But I can't guarantee that you, you're gonna, you know, that you're gonna be happy about the fact that you've eaten more because you're at this stage, you don't want to eat anything. Yeah. yeah. But I know the damage you will do if you don't eat. So it's important, it's absolutely imperative that during that process that you build that relationship with them so that mum can come to you and ask any question. And during that process of therapy as well, sometimes family therapy happens in different form. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to have the whole family in the session. You might do some sessions with parents because, remember, you're trying to get them to... Exert some control of management of feeling confident and strong enough mm-hmm. to manage meal times, so I might have mum and dad in in a session together uh, you know just without the children, and I might just do sibling session where it's with the young person with the eating disorder and the siblings yeah and it's fascinating and then when we come back together, we share what the experience of that is like. I might have mother and daughter together in a session or I might do more, um daughter. And, and dad together or father and son together, um extended families might be invited. Nan and grand granddad might be invited because actually they help when mum and dad are at work. They help with management of lunch. Yeah. When that child is at home, when parents aren't there. So it's important during the early stage that there is some kind of management structure and also using and seeing family as a resource. That I cannot stress that enough. Families are the resource. For the recovery of the young person rather than seeing as the, as the problem they are the resource they are the strong you know the the kind of foundation that's going to help this young person, all the resources are going to come from them mm-hmm. and with the help of the professionals are there to make sure that we coordinate it and help them and make sure that the medical aspect of it all that's been managed and everybody's working on, on alongside but the family is where the resource is going to come from that's going to enable recovery to happen sooner rather than later
0: just before we finish what can we do to make sure that siblings are i don't use i don't want to use the phrase money but not damaged mm-hmm. throughout this whole process what can we do to make sure that siblings don't feel excluded and left out because i imagine mm-hmm. if you've got and I, I guess this applies to any kind of medical condition where mm. you've got multiple children in one house where one child needs quite rightly so a lot of additional care mm. and has additional needs how do we ensure that the other siblings don't lose their sense of self-worth and that they feel Stay valued in. and included
1: too again uh, that happens as well through um when we're looking at um helping the family to challenge the eating disorder it's important that siblings are part of it yeah because siblings sees other aspects of the young person's um illness that parents might not see so again amplifying them as also a resource and letting the young person see that actually you know my brother and my sister you know are also going are part of helping me yeah and also looking building their relationship looking at their relationship it's important we have to acknowledge that what damage did the anorexia do to their relationship? Okay. How can that be fixed? What was it like before anorexia? And it, it, it's so powerful when you see them talk about the beautiful relationship that they had before this condition came into their lives and what their hope and where they want to be and what they want to get it back. That in itself brings these siblings closer to be able to say that to them you know to each other face to face and talk about it and and look forward and have hopes for the future that we can get through this as a family, we can get through this as a siblings. It's important that parents find time for the other siblings as well. You know, when the uh, the young person is in treatment, you know, do something special with the other the other sibling. Maybe you know, a night a pamper, or go out and do something together. Mm-hmm. It's important. I've encouraged that. I you know, I've set homework task. Where they have to do certain, you know, they do certain things as a family together, and it's so wonderful and, and, and reaching to see them talk about bonding together. Yeah, that yeah. where actually anorexia wasn't there, they'd say, that for that moment, for that couple of hours, I didn't think about food. I was, I was having fun with my families, and that's why I want back. And siblings are involved in that, and they feel part of it. And again, I might spend some time with that sibling to look at where they feel that anorexia is as well and it's important we you know there's so many different approach um and different exercises that I do I might do sculpting exercises mm. you know with all the family in the session as well to think about their position within this family that you know who's closer to who and if I do that at the earliest stage of the treatment, and when I do it, maybe halfway through the treatment, you can see the changes, you can see the closeness returning to it. And there might be a period where actually anorexia is stronger, wants to move back in. And you can see, and they start to notice it themselves, and they start to actually talk to each other about how to engage and use their own resource and push anorexia out. Right. And they'll tell you the anorexia is closer to the door. Oh, actually, no, he's actually in the room right now. They will tell you what it's doing to all of them as a family. And also it's interesting when they don't agree as well as a family. Who thinks that the young person is doing better? Who think that the young person actually is struggling? That's again, in itself is powerful because they are using the resources to try and get to the goal of recovery.
0: Bonnie, I feel like we've just touched the tip of the iceberg here but this has been so incredibly helpful and you know thank you so much for coming and talking to us with your expertise at such a level that is so easily accessible because i think it's so important to do that yes yes. just before we finish if if we had some parents who were worried about their son or daughter what what bit of advice would you share with that parent
1: okay i feel if any parent out there is worried about their Son of their daughter, it's important that to speak to other family members, mm. see if they're picking up on the same thing that you're picking up because sometimes it's good to check ourselves out as well, yeah, again, because of our own anxieties to make sure that you know we we're actually seeing what it's there, and perhaps ask them for support as well to you know to be noticing and to keep an eye on it. if you all become quite concerned about this, I would advise that perhaps. Even if the young person is refusing to go to the GP with you, perhaps go make an appointment.
0: Yeah.
1: Go and discuss it with a professional independently. Yeah. Okay. Go and discuss it with a professional. Go, you or if if there's a school nurse, make an appointment. See if you can speak to a school nurse, a, a dietitian, or anybody that's accessible. Mm-hmm. Just to check out some of the things that you are noticing. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't brush it off because I'd rather somebody ask me. Or check out something that they think, oh, it sounds really silly or I think I'm blowing out of proportion. I'd rather somebody is blowing up out of proportion. And it turns out that actually I'm glad that they did because actually they're not blowing out of proportion. So any little changes that you're worried about, it's best to check it out. So always seek professional advice from somebody and use the family members to help you to notice it as well so it's not just you that has left with it use the resource around you and ask other professionals for help.
0: Bonnie, it has been really, really great to have you on. Thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and advice. I'm going to include in the show notes bits of information about where people can get hold of you. And also we'll maybe share a couple of additional resources as well in the show notes about Mm -hmm. anybody who needs any extra information. Is there anything else that you would like to say before we finish?
1: Thank you very much for having me. I hope that it's been informative for parents on a level that it's easy to just understand from their their position. I hope I haven't used too many jargons that's confused anybody because I think it's important that they know that there is support out there and any little worries, it's important that they get it checked out. Absolutely.
0: Bonnie, thank you so, so much. Thank you. I'd really like to thank Bonnie again for coming on the show today and for sharing her expertise with us. Issues like these are difficult and thorny and sometimes we don't like to talk about them because they don't always make for easy listening, but they are nonetheless incredibly important. None of us should ever feel isolated. As Bonnie says, it's not about feeling guilt or shame. It's about getting the right help and taking collective action as a family. Please make sure that you do seek appropriate medical advice. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast and that in some way it's added value to your life. Thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Holly Hartley. Please make sure that you tell everyone you know who might benefit from listening all about the show. It's free to listen to, of course, in any app that supports podcasts. Make sure that you click like and leave a review. I'll see you on the next edition of Life Stories, where we'll hear about one woman's story of loss and how she now seeks to change water safety education, making us all safer. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. You are enough.